and welcome to ACE. I'm your host, Darren, and we call this show ACE because we explore careers at the intersection of arts, social impact, and enterprise, and we feature people like this week's guest, Jimmy Yoon, who are carving their own path and designing careers around a life they want to live. So Jimmy is a professional salsa teacher. And we recorded this episode after one of our practices where we went to a bubble tea shop and then a Korean barbecue for dinner. So there will be some background noise in this episode. Our conversation's really free-flowing, but is mostly centered around uh, what I consider to be Jimmy's magical power, which is building community around one's passion. So Jimmy is absolutely in love with salsa music, with the history, with the culture, with the dance, of course. And so if you feel that way about something, how can you build a career around that passion? A lot of it comes down to building community. And so we'll talk about how Jimmy founded his salsa school accidentally. We'll talk about, again, how to build community and trust. Um, We also talk about being undeniable so that you are able to attract other people as well as Jimmy's influences, and how he stumbled upon his purpose. Jimmy has had an outsized influence on my life over the past year, and I hope this gives you a a peek into that window of how he's influenced my life and so many others. So enjoy the show. And remember, we also have a website at upstartist.tv. So if you want to get on our email list and meet others who are at the boundaries and, and trying to create their best life where they can do their most meaningful work, Go join us over there, upstartist.tv. We're on, brother. Nice. Booyah. <laughs> Great. We're going. Let's go all We're the going. way. Downtown. Downtown. We are, in fact, we are downtown, and I'm looking at one of the most crowded intersections in all of Saigon. And if you can hear that music in the background, that's because we're at Mr. Wish, Natural Fruit Tea Restaurant. Mr. Wish. We're taking Ace on the road. Absolutely, 100%. And who is that man who's, who's saying that? <laughs> welcome. Welcome to Saigon. 239 Boys in the house. <laughs> 239 Boys in the house. So let me give him an official introduction. My next guest is a salsa teacher by name. But he's so much more to me. He's a philosopher. He's an anthropologist. He's a cultural attache. He's a dance general slash monk slash park preacher. He's a 239 boy, of course. A mentor and a good friend. So I want to welcome back Jimmy Yoon to Ace. This is your third time on the show, buddy. Thank you so much, my brother. Thank you. I mean, we saw you doing pull-ups. We've talked about your perfect day. And now now it's just us in a bubble tea restaurant. Booyah. That's how we do it. This is how we do it. If only you could see what Jimmy looks like. He's holding a microphone <laughs> with a mic stand in the you air. You know, the counterweight is very nice, actually, to the hand, the counterbalance. It's quite nice, actually. Okay. I, 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 like, um, I like how it's balanced just like this. <laughs> Whatever floats your bow, man. But I thought we could start with something fun. So Please. The reason this show is called Ace, there's many reasons. One is that... I want to help people who are pursuing careers in the arts, social impact, and entrepreneurship. So that's A-S-E. 
And that includes what, you're, what you do, being a salsa teacher. But it also has a second secret meaning that is very closely related to our relationship and how I know you. And so it's not just ace, it's... Ashe. And what does that mean? Ashe. Ashe is a spiritual concept. It's a philosophical concept. It comes from the Yoruba people, originally from the Yoruba people. And as they spread throughout the world, most recently, a couple of centuries ago, due to the uh, transatlantic slave trade. So you have a lot of Yoruba that have been uh, dispersed all around the world, uh, specifically the uh, what we call as the New World. And uh, Ashe means, so it shall be. It shall be so. It's a very powerful meaning. It's like Amen. How it has been explained to me is like Amen. When someone says something so profound, so spiritual, that you want it to come to life, you say Amen. Similar in that fashion, Ashe. It's just like Amen. It's like... uh, so it shall be. It's a very powerful word. It's a hefty word. Whatever you want. So it shall be. So it shall be. So it shall be. It's a powerful phrase. So it shall be. It shall be done. You know, I keep on saying this over and over again. That's because that's the power. That's the power behind it. It shall be. And so you manifest this energy within you and it happens. The power to make things happen. That's what Ashe is. It's a very powerful concept. I mean, you know, it's from the Yoruba people. What, you know, what do I know? Or like, what kind of connection do I have to all of this? You know what I'm saying? I'm like a a Korean American, came from a very traditional, conservative Korean household, Korean background in America. You know, like the, the folks that immigrated in the 70s, 80s, you know, they immigrated because Korea was a very poor country, just like, the, you know, many parts of uh, Asia, you know, Chinese, Chinese uh, immigrants, Korean immigrants, Mexican immigrants, all the immigrants who come to America, that's because they, they were searching for a better life. And so they, uh, they come with, uh, you know, more conservative values. So I come from a very conservative Korean, very ultra Korean. You know, I was in a Korean community in the Bay Area, nothing but Korean friends, et cetera, et cetera. So what, what does a guy like me have anything to do with a Yoruba spiritual concept like Ashe? Well, everything. That's how powerful Ashe is. Ashe is so powerful. It reached even uh, a person like me who has zero connection. Somehow, through this like deep, deep roots, it, it hit me. So I believe in it 100%. It's this power to manifest. Ashe. Very, very, very powerful concept. Anything you want in this world, you can manifest. You can manifest. It's a real thing. It is a real thing. So, uh, you know, if you can think it, you can do it. And how did the Yoruba, how does that culture discuss Ashe? Like, what's the context around it? It's spiritual. It's spiritual. It's religious in nature. You know, different parts of uh, the New World spell it in different ways. Uh, in, in Brazil, they say Ashe too, but it's spelled you know, A-X-E, Lusophone style of spelling Ashe. In, in the Caribbean, in Cuba, they spell it A-S-H-E many times, or A-C-H-E for the Cuban version with the, uh, the accent. 
the tonal accent on the E. The Yoruba language transliterated into English with their own tonal markings. It's A-S-E with like a dot underneath the S. And so, yeah, Ashe. It's, this is a global concept. It has followed the Yoruba peoples and uh, it has uh, traveled far and wide and infiltrated a lot of different uh, societies and it has grown, taken up roots. Very powerful, you know, touched my life forever. The power to make things happen. It's a very powerful concept, bro. I mean, think about it. Like, you have the power to make anything happen. What you truly desire, what I desire every day is to be in sunshine and sweat and exercise and practice my dance. And that's exactly what I did today. This is exactly what I did. So this is the power to make that happen. That which you truly desire. I mean, it's true. I don't desire a, you know, I don't desire a Mercedes Benz. I don't really desire a car even. I don't desire material things. You weren't always this way. So one thing I want to talk about is how you ended up teaching salsa for a living. Oh, bro. Yeah, I was in the yeah, I was in the military for a long time. I was in the Air Force. And then I got into the civilian sector and I worked in uh, like a like a regular job where you had to wear a suit and tie all day. Uh, my office was, you know, cubicle. I mean, at one point I had windows, but uh, you know, back to the basement I went for many years. <laughs> no windows, cubicle, just like the office politics and the racism within like corporate America. You know, it's, it's real. The racism is a real thing. I'm sorry. You know, it's a real thing in the office. People pick sides. And even in the most professional places, Washington, D.C., man, in like the highest upper echelons, you like people pick sides, bro. I just don't like politics, everything like just you know, badging in and out, doing all this fucking, like, I just was, I couldn't handle it. You know, one day in like these huge corporate parking lots where your car is parked and then you have to like take a shuttle, you know, into campus. Like one of these kind of places I worked at, like these huge corporate complexes. So, you know, I was, I was really fed up one day and uh, went to my car just to like unwind for a second, just, you know, for, for a moment, smoke a cigarette. And this is, I guess, like when Facebook just, just created an app for their phone. Cause I remember this was like my storm two or something, you know, <laughs> back in the day, a long time ago, I, I saw like my friend was posting pictures of himself enjoying his time in Thailand. And this was like March. And March in Washington, D.C. is like snowy, bumfuck cold. It's terrible. You're in a terrible mood, man. It's just like terrible weather. March, you know, it snows till April in D.C. It's so crazy. And so it's just like snowing and like really cold. And he's posting pictures of like himself on an elephant and like screenshotting the like 100 degrees outside, just being an asshole, right? Making everybody jealous as what like, you know, people do on Facebook for the likes, right? You know, that got to me. I was like, you know what? Fuck this shit. I'm not, I'm not doing this shit anymore. I can't like, I had enough. So right there, I, I decided, oh, by the way, this whole time I, I had been teaching salsa. Uh, salsa was my sidekick, not because I needed the money, but because, uh, this is what I love. I love dancing. I love salsa dance. 
Uh, and so I, I already had my own school, my dance school at the time. And it got to a point where, you know, there's an inflection point where you have to make choices, a fork in the road. And there was a point in time where, like, I was, I was miserable at work, my day job, and my side hustle was returning enough where I had the possibility of, of quitting my job. So I said, fuck this shit. I left. After I saw, you know, that picture of my friend on the elephant in Thailand, I said, Do you, you want to give him a shout out? What is his name? Oh, yo, bro. My, my bro. <laughs> Just a bro. Bro. That's good enough. Oh, shit. You know, honest, it's all good, man. Honestly, bro. Let, no, 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 no. I got, I got, I got to pay him justice. I got to see like. Yeah, this guy me, changed your find, life with like, that picture. Joe, my friend Joe. I don't know why, like Joe, unaverage Joe, man. Unaverage Joe. 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 <laughs> Joe, you hear me? I saw you on that elephant. Joe, Joe, my friend Joe, an average Joe. Joe and Joe might does he know that he inspired your move? He knows. Okay, he, knows he knows, man. Yeah, he, knows. he told me all about Thailand. Okay. I quit my job a month later. Yeah, I flew out to Thailand, bro. I was living the life. Learned about like how cost of living is a lot cheaper outside of America. You know, just. Fell into all that, man, and that's exactly the time where I thought of like getting serious with being, uh, you know, independent, totally independent. Why do I have to be locationally dependent? But I think a key part of this is starting your salsa school. Starting the salsa school was. How, how did that come about? Good friend, my ex-girlfriend. We lived together, actually, and we broke up. But it was an amicable breakup. I mean, we had been living together. We were sharing rent on this house. It was a house. So, you know, two-story, a three-bedroom, three-bedroom house. You know, we had been going out at that point for like a few years, three years now. Uh, we had decided to split ways. It was amicable. And so we had to dissolve our kind of like our living because our living was like together. And so she, she decided to move out of the house. I, deci I decided to take the house, keep the house. And, uh, and so as she left, I needed to make, you know, a half house worth of rent, more money. Like what? She's leaving. I need to stay. And, you know, and we had decided a day where she would, she would leave. Like there would be like, a, you know, a departure date. I think it was like August, August 30th or something like August 1st. August 1st was the departure date. This was 2012. I was still teaching at Mr. Mambo's. I was the resident on two instructor at Mr. Mambo's Salsa Social in Washington, D.C. for many, many years. I had taken a break from Clavacazi Dance Studio. That's where, uh, that's where I was picked up to start teaching. Uh, you know, they trained me. They professionalized me in, in salsa dance as a teacher. Uh, I had been teaching there. I did my apprenticeship there. I taught there for many years. And then I took a you know, break for a few months. All the while, uh, still teaching at Mr. Mambo's, kept myself relevant in the community, not for any other reason, but because I just like, I loved hanging out, you know, I loved going out. And so, uh, you know, my, my ex-girlfriend left the house and I decided to open up classes in, in my house, you know, private classes. So I put on Facebook, I said, uh, I wrote, hey, I only have uh, uh, like, a slot for four or five couples. 
for accepting four couples only for advanced salsa training. Sign up immediately. And just like that, I had I had people like sign up. It was an awesome time, bro. Whatever I asked, like like manifested. I and and all I had to do was just like post something on Facebook like I need an intern. Boom, it like immediately like my my box would be flooded with with messages like because always it was always the condition of free classes like you can train at the academy for f free oh this was the, we're talking about the cre creation of the school okay yeah this came afterwards this definitely came afterwards i mean i it's incredible like like somehow value was created behind the school and people would like intern and like do like social media management and pr just for like access to the free classes i mean that was of like i don't know how it just happened it just grew out of nothing, but that comes later. But okay, so the creation of the school. So my, my, my ex leaves the house. I need to pay rent. And so I put on Facebook, hey, like I'll train like four couples, uh, you know, sign up immediately. And it was like immediate. I had four couples, like literally not even an hour went by and my, my message box was flooded. So I invited those four couples in. I started making rent, right? And I was teaching them. And so one class turned into two. And then at that point, you know, because like people, like everybody wanted to come to my living room to learn. So then I, I had one, like a high level class and then I had a beginner's class. And then it just started getting crazy. People started coming and like filling up my parking lot. It got crazy. My, like my living room was filled to the brim with people like wanting to learn salsa. And uh, you know, I felt like this sense of immense pride because that was mine. Before, like it was nobody else's. Before class, I would sweep the wooden floors clean, clean. I had so, like it felt good to have pride in what was my own. And then after the students left, I just had like, all my energy was given to them, but I just, I felt so satisfied and I would, I would like linger in this glow as I sweep the floors. It wasn't like, painful at all to do chores it was a joy to sweep my own floors after class was finished it was a meditation and i just felt so good and so proud that this was mine man and just like i like taking responsibility of what was mine sweeping those floors make polishing my own floors making my wood floor shine make them look clean you know before and after class it was just so meaningful it felt so great bro it felt so great. But anyways, I started making income from like all these people coming like to my living room. And that was the intent. I didn't want to go rent out a studio. I didn't want to go like publish like promotion, like website, etc. These were just supposed to be private classes in my living room in order for me to, to make rent. I didn't want to go public like this. You know, it was just like totally unintentional. I just needed to pay rent, man. I just, you know, uh, but like... People seem to like how I how I teach, how I taught. So uh, you know, the inflection point came after two months. Washington D.C. is an interesting place. It's not like California. I was I was I'm born and raised in Oakland, California. I left when I was 18 years old. I joined the Air Force. I left for the military. But I ended up uh, in Washington D.C. because of the military. That was my last duty station out there. My first uh, experience as an adult in America, coming back after after. Uh, doing a tour overseas coming back it, it was in the east coast so i grew up as an adult my adult experience is entirely washington dc the east coast and they have these things called row houses out there 
Row houses, very interesting thing. You don't see row houses in in California because all our houses are made out of like stucco, and they're actually like you know we have backyards and like you know separated from each other. Washington D.C. is like one of the most old oldest cities in America, right? These kind of like old school architecture row houses. They're like duplexes almost, like packed, you know, and then stacked up high. And so I, out of a three-story complex, three-story building, I had the top two floors. And then there was a bottom floor with their own entrance. The guy had his own entrance. But after a month or two, like he came up, he knocked on my door while I was conducting class. He said, yo, man, you got to understand, this is pissing me off. This is a residential neighborhood. This is not commercial. You can't bring these people out here. And also, like, you have like 20 people in your living room stomping around. It's too much, man. You know, I'm going to have to call the police. And then as he was saying these words to me, he stuck his hand out. And he looked at me as he was saying, I'm going to call the police, as he stuck his hand out. And I looked at him and I thought, you motherfucker, how much do you want? And so he strong-armed me that night for $100. And so I put $100 in his pocket not to say anything. And good thing it was closing the end of that month because I said, you know what? Fuck this dude. I'm not being strong-armed by anyone again. Uh, next month, I'm leaving. I'm not doing... You know, the whole reason why I was doing it in my home anyways is because I don't want to drive, like, go anywhere. I mean, you know, it's hard for me to get to places anyways. Like, if I have it at my house, there's no there's no chance that, you know, I'll be late for class or anything. It's, you know, it's my house. It was strategic on my part to have it at my house, but you're forcing my hand. No. Like, yes, this income is good. No, I refuse to be strong-armed by you ever again. I was so mad that night, I started researching the closest dance studios next to my house, and I found one, and it was this place that had no mirrors. It was the jankiest, it was just like a warehouse. But, you know, I said, you know what, fuck that. Next month, we're going there, and we moved there. And the rest is history, man. One class turned to two, two turned to like, you know, infinity and beyond. And I started training, it got so big, I needed other people to, uh, to manage the other classes. So I started training instructors. And then like word got out, I was training instructors. Then I created a whole instructor training program and just like snowballed from there. But how, how were you able to generate so much momentum from your first I Ask I have on no Facebook? idea, bro. I like, none of this was How like, long had you been teaching at Mr. Mambo's? Mr. Mambo's and Klavakazi before then. So 2012 is when we started. Klavakazi picked me up in 2008. And I immediately started teaching at, at Mr. Mambo's as well in 2008. So I had been teaching for four years. That's a pretty good amount of time, right? Four to years. get a following. I mean, I'm guessing that helps. None of it was intentional. You know, at the time, 2008, 2008, I was 23 years old. I was 23 turning 24. Uh, you know, all I all I was doing was just like uh, chasing girls and having fun, man. I was just having a good time. I didn't care about like anything much, but like just having a good time. I was just having a good time, man. Twenty three years old, and me saying chasing girls. I mean, come on, you can't you can't blame me for that. You know, all like young men are out there, like you know, having a good time, having a ball at that young age. I was just having, you know, I just wanted people to come together and like eat. And I had a club. At that age, because I learned a lot in Korea. I was stationed in Korea for two years, and I learned the Korean system. The Korean system, you know, they're very groupthink, group-oriented. Not like Americans, you know. Americans were very individualistic. But as I went, I went to Korea and I plugged into their salsa scene, their salsa scene is controlled or organized by groups called Dong Ohe. Dong Ohe. Excuse my pronunciation. It's probably terrible. For all the native Korean speakers, I'm sorry. 
that like translates to group, literally like hobby group. And so, you know, very organized. Everybody operates in groups. And everybody eats afterwards, after dancing salsa. And that's what I love the most. Not the activity of like not going and dancing, but everybody getting together afterwards and taking, you know, taking over a, bu- a pub, a beer hall, and like putting on your, your music at the beer hall. And so everybody's just like drunk and eating fried chicken and dancing in between the tables. It's the most incredible thing. So I learned this system in Korea. So I get to Washington, D.C., like 23 years old, not knowing anything about adulthood except this kind of like group organization. Which is a real skill. It's a real, it's definitely, I mean, it's like, I've, I went far with this, not even knowing. Like I learned this in Korea as a young boy. Nobody in Washington, D.C. salsa scene, after salsa, everybody just went home. Nobody was making these real connections. Maybe outside of like, like, the smoke pit because back then 2008 people were still smoking cigarettes like en masse so like you know you you couldn't smoke indoors but like everybody who smoked outdoors we would congregate you know and that's where you made those connections and you know phone numbers and all that but anyways other than that people really didn't make any connections so what i did was i created a club called the fnsc the friday night supper club because there was no salsa on Friday nights and everybody wanted to hang out. So I said, you know what? Let's do the Friday Night Supper Club, the FNSC. It was awesome. We had OMs and UMs, official meetings, unofficial meetings. We would raid. It was crazy. We were 24 years old, man. I had such a good time. We would raid uh, restaurants. We tried like as a group. The Facebook uh, group is still around. As a group, we would we would figure out which restaurant we wanted to go eat. So we we do a vote. You know, we're like uh, like 50 members strong, like, you know, 20 active that would come out to these things. So what would happen is like I would put out a poll on a Monday and this is like, you know, circa 2009. I would put out a poll. Uh, hey, where do you guys want to eat? We would all like, you know, look at, uh, you know, the food blogs to see which restaurants are good. We went to Russian restaurants, you know, all sort Chinese, all sorts of different restaurants. We'd pick a restaurant. By Wednesday, I would figure out where we'd go. And I'd call the restaurant. I'd be like, hey, uh, you know, I'm the, uh, I'm the editor of a food blog, of a food organization called the FNSC, the most exclusive club in the Washington, D.C. metro area. The FNSC. We had our own handshake. We had our own, like, group titles. I was the Grand Poobah. You know, it was crazy, man. And so I would tell them, you know, the FNSC is coming to your restaurant. We want an off the menu menu. We have about 20 people coming. And this is exactly how much we want to pay, about $30 per person. Can you make a menu for us? And they would make a tasting menu for us. Like, you know, so every week, Friday night supper club, we would get together and we'd do this. And this is kind of how, like, I was always about group, man. I just wanted to hang out with people. I guess that's the FNSC is what really helped me, like, you know, because salsa, it's not all about technique, man. All these youngsters coming in the game, they think it's about technique and flash. No, mofo. It's about uplifting and shepherding your community. You're a gardener. This is a garden, man. I'm a gardener. My students are like vegetables. It behooves you to do your best job because you want to taste, you know, your pro. You don't want to be tasting no rotten tomatoes, and you're the one growing those tomatoes in your garden, you know? So, uh, Yes. So I've been talking too much, man. Go ahead. I've just been rambling on. No, and I, I want to keep you like, going. I want to keep I, you going on the, the community stuff. Community is important. I've been your friend now for almost a year, and I feel like you just almost have this magical power 
to be able to bring people together, to build community. And that is such an important skill to have and an amazing skill to have. And I'm like, I mean, you do it in the context of salsa, but I think people can do that in whatever anything, their interest is. Anything, anything. Do you have certain thoughts about how to do that? Well, you have to have a, a, a topic, right? What's like, what's the focal point? What's the focus? Well, let's say salsa in your exactly, case. Exactly, and then that's it. Salsa is the beginning of it. Yeah. And then you shepherd people around that. Yes. It's that simple. That's it. I mean, like people are attracted to people who care about the things they care about. I, care, I cared about like eating good food with my salsa friends. So I started the Friday Night Supper Club. It starts with caring about something. It's hard to make money if all you care about is money and not your product. Unless your product is like stocks. Unless like you're in finance. If your business is like money, then I guess that's it. But like if you care about just like making money and not like not about your actual like product, then it's just, you know, it's too trans, you know, you're transparent. People can see through all that. People aren't stupid. People follow people who, who care about what they care about and who are genuine. Yeah, that's it. That's what I've, I've just, uh, the crazy thing is I stumbled across all this. It's not like totally by accident not by design it's just i'm just trying to like get to the next day and it just happened like this yeah. well and and how much of that incoming rush of demand when you first started teaching was due to youtube videos of you was there any part of it or was that completely local because like you are honestly one of the first people i ever saw like just trying to find salsa shit oh, on YouTube to yeah. like learn. Yeah. And it's like, oh, Jimmy Yoon. Yeah. And, and seeing your classes that yeah. you're giving at Mr. Mambo. I have no idea, bro. It was a weird thing. Like it just I would, happened. Yeah. I would post something. That was a time in my life where I would post something and I would get whatever I wanted like instantly. It was the weirdest thing. Like I need a roommate. I would post that. And like I, my DM would be filled with people when I went, needed to rent out my rooms. It was crazy. Like that time I just like post whatever and like I need I need an intern. Boom. I need like social media guy. Boom. I need like whatever I needed. Like I would just post it and I just get a flood of of messages. I that was just a special time. I don't expect that to happen now these days. I first off, I don't use Facebook like like that anymore. B the algorithms have changed completely. C like the whole attitude on social media, everybody has gotten smart. So they don't use like, you know, we all realize what it's about now. So it's, you know, everybody has backed off. Algorithms have changed completely. It's not like that anymore. But during that time, it was a very weird thing. I would just, it, it literally, like, it was weird, man. I didn't ask for much. But when I, when I needed something, when I asked for something, it would just happen. It would just happen. Yeah. And you just rolled with it. That's what it is. That's what Ashe is, man. It's like the power to make things happen. It just happened. That's crazy. That's, that's incredible. I mean, because one thing I've noticed during our park workouts, for example, there, you know, there's some really interesting people that walk by the bars and they're kind of watching us and they kind of want to participate and you'll, you'll welcome them yeah. with open arms. I mean, you'll, 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 you'll kind of feel them out, but say like, hey, like, you know, and I think that's really something amazing that I've seen you do repeatedly is the kind of random person you're you're willing to welcome them yeah. with open arms. It looks like that to me. Yeah. And I'm wondering, like, is this something you've always done? Because I think most people wouldn't do that. Most people wouldn't be like, "Hey, man, what's your Facebook at the park?" I I you know I I follow energy. 
That's it. So the person feels good energy wise. Yeah, I you know, I know that's not a really good answer. <laughs> no, it's my it's, it's not my, a good it's it's your my, answer. Like I just fall I just yeah. Like during those times, that's a very spiritual time for me, bro, because it's like uh you know, you're trying to access deep places within the mind. You know, that's the whole purpose of practice. I mean, whatever you're doing, right? Whether it's dance or like jogging or like the pull-ups, you're trying to whether you realize it or not, well, you do, you, you do understand it on an intrinsic level. That's why you're practicing, because you've tasted it before. You've gone to that place. You've tasted it, and you, wanna, you want another taste. You want to get back to it. That's why you do it every single day, because you know that taste. Yeah. And so while you're, while you're in that state, that like transitory state from like, a normal problem-solving level of consciousness to like those deeper levels of consciousness. You uh, you start to feel things, sense things on a different level. And so the people that come to the park and interact with us, uh, it depends. I can I can feel who has energy. You know, I want to interact with, and sometimes there are people I don't want to interact with them. I don't. I don't. I yeah. And and following the energy has. It's been a big part of yeah. your life. Yeah, oh yeah, that's right. There was this dude, Santos. That man, you know, one of these figures that came through the park. I see him with like, you know, an Odisha energy. That's just how I feel. How I see things are, are based off of that kind of perspective because my, my current lens on the world is through very much like an Odisha lens. I thought of him as a, you know, a, a particular, a, pecu- a peculiar one. I didn't like, could not identify, but you know. Uh, that Odisha energy manifested in him and he was talking to me. He's like, uh, you know, don't worry if people think of you negatively, like as you're like dancing and like, uh, you know, people will look at you strange. People will listen to your music strange. Don't worry about them. Don't think about them. I looked at Santos. I said, hey, Santos, I never get that. Like, I never get that feeling. And he goes, you never get that? You don't have those kind of people? I said, no, man, because I don't surround my peop- myself with people like that. Like, the people around me are the people who I want to be around. You know, you're the composite of the five, like, closest people around you. <laughs> I'm around people who I want to be around, who make me feel good, who uplift me. I'm not around pe- those kind of people. And if I sense that, I'm like, I stay away. I, like, have this strength, like radar like i stay away from people like like that so uh yeah wow i energy yeah there's so many places i want to go with this but i feel like you're getting hungry oh let's migrate bro let's migrate let's migrate migrate. yeah we're gonna migrate so we're gonna go from pop star heaven here at mr wish we're gonna go across the street to meet and meet. So get ready for for those Korean barbecue sounds coming your way. Sizzle part two. Here we go. Heat. All right, so we're back, y'all. Booyah! We are now at Meet and Meet Korean Barbecue Container. Meet and Meet. <laughs> Yeah, let's pick up the conversation. So we were talking about community. Yes. Oh, yeah. And because, you know, so much of the dance life and the dance business is actually centered around community. You can't have a class with one person. Well, you can. You can have private classes. 
but you know it's so much better obviously when you're dancing with a partner and with multiple partners it's what you love to do and it's also your livelihood is what i'm getting at because i remember you being on the back of my bike i was taking you home and you're like yeah I need a terraform. Yeah, 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 yeah. Terraform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the community. Yes, yes, yes. That's very. That's a very interesting topic for me. I I didn't need to leave D.C. I mean, I make my money still primarily in Washington D.C. I didn't need to leave. But traveling to Asia, what occurred to me was salsa. The salsa community is not like that of what I enjoy in America. And so that begs the question: Who are you to change culture? Well, exactly. I mean, you know, I'm me. I feel like uh, I I feel like I represent the culture well enough to represent it, to be a representative. I mean, even my dance school. I didn't just open up my dance school. I actually got the blessing and the permission of four of the bosses in D.C. I mean, I call them bosses because they're bosses in my head. But the senior dance elders, like the other studios, the people who hold it down in Washington D.C. I asked them for their permission. I actually stepped them back. Every, uh, you know, I asked to meet them one by one, wherever I met them, stepped them back and asked them, hey, can I get your blessing, your permission to start my own school? They gave me the blessing. So, you know, I feel like I am a, a representative. I am a representative of Washington, D.C., salsa culture. So, uh, you know, I play this exercise in my head all the time. What if I get dra- uh, like uh, shipwrecked on an island? with native inhabitants that you know we don't speak the same language what would i do and so starting them off from scratch i'd have to teach everybody salsa you know what if i didn't have the music i have the rhythms you know so i'd like make drums with the natives and i'd start like teaching them the rhythms starting for exactly what i'm doing in saigon right now it's i'm terraforming you know teaching what does terraforming mean? Terra- terraforming. In the uh, science fiction sense, terraforming is when you have a, uh, a lifeless planet and uh, you go over there and you drop a, a life bomb, that, uh, you know, Genesis bomb that creates life. That's terraforming. And so bringing culture to a place that doesn't have that specific culture uh, and shaping the minds of, uh, you know, people interested, that's terraforming. So really shaping culture. Being a DJ is... But how do you do that? Uh, through, through all sides of the culture. Through music, through dance, through movement, everything. So you gotta, you got to hit it on all angles. Yeah. Build a tribe in a sense too, right? Yeah, build a tribe so inspire other people. You know, inspire them. Your shit's got to be good enough where people realize, damn, man, that's pretty cool. I want to do that too. And that's as simple com- as that. That's, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's, I guess, like, your focus... Whatever your passion is, you got to be good enough at it where people, not just like, they, you're undeniable. Your presence, your energy, your skill is just undeniable. If they have to like question you, then, you know, they can deny you. But if you're undeniable, then that's when you can terraform. Yeah, I love that because salsa, unlike many other professions, it is an undeniable feeling whether someone has it or not it's not something you can fake in videos that are being recorded of you it's you not something you can you can't fake it you can you know fake when you're teaching people can see through like within 10 seconds right whether this person has it or not uh, and i guess we've already covered you know how you feel about practice yeah <laughs> yeah but i remember you once told me right why is this dancer better than this other dancer 
more time practicing dancing. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just practice. I mean, if you care about something that much, then you're just going to do it. Like if you care about eating that uh, you know, that steak for that day, you're going to eat it. Ashe. Make it happen. You know, I, it's a weird thing. Like people put these kind of like mental blocks, these blocks. I can understand these blocks. You know, I have some blocks too actually. Uh, you know, I have I have some real blocks in my head. I can't do some stuff. Like I put them in my head. Yeah, I understand that. Um I I just I'm blessed in the sense that I don't have the blocks that like block me from doing like what I really want to do. Yeah. And you've just always been that way. Yeah. I've had a lot of great positive reinforcement. I've never been a believer in negative reinforcement. I have I haven't had much of that. Like I've had positive reinforcement. When I do a good job, people uplift me. They show me that I have value. You know, I I not just surrounded myself, but like just people around me have always been like, you know, uplifters people who have uplifted my spirit and showed me the right way i've had great teachers that's another thing like i'm blessed i met the right people i had great teachers who opened up their hearts to me and showed me like good ways good methods good practices i've had great teachers man like all my friends everybody you are a teacher to me you know everybody is my teacher so like uh yeah i just surround my you surround yourself with good people it's like fascinating to go to one of your classes because the way you talk about the history of dance and I mean, you truly are a salsa nerd. I am. I'm <laughs> such a nerd. I mean, I if you were so on like nerd. the group chats oh and, and you get Jimmy's messages at, you know, four in the morning about how this one lady brought, you know, this certain form of dancing to Cuba and how we all need to, you know, honor her and respect her. It's awesome. It's awesome. You're a true. I really nerd out, bro. I get so excited. <laughs> <over this> stuff. <laughs> you truly do. Um, but what I was going to say, it's what's interesting is the way you talk about your mentors and your teachers and the reverence you have for them and kind of the reverence you have for the culture. I almost feel like you're, you're like a monk from like the 13th century or something. And you've been handed down some scrolls, scrolls of wisdom. And now you want to pass down what you've learned to the next generation of teachers or what have you, right? So you can grow the community here, for example, in Saigon. You know, also, I don't really have these kind of expectations. Like, I'm not doing numbers. Like, I'm not thinking to myself, by 2021, I'm going to have X amount of people. No, man, like, I'm not thinking like that. I don't have expectations of growth. I just like, when you have expectations, that's, that's when you have suffering, I mean, expect, of course, it's a gamble. It's all a gamble. But, like, I don't have those. I just don't. I don't expect this thing to grow. I didn't expect this thing to grow outside of us, just you and me. We were the start of 239 Boys, you know, with... Uh, Richard. With Richard. Richard Watkins. With Richard, Shout out. you know? And, and Mark. Mark, <laughs> yes. Mark in a spiritual way. It's just like, again, like something like this. Who knew? Just one person kept on coming, you know, then Bosch, then Tosh, then, ex, you know, on and on and on. They just like kept on showing up. Nobody could have foreseen this. Nobody expected this. It's not even like what I, not, not, never my expectation. Never my expectation. All of this is very organic, very natural. Yes. It is. It is. It, and I, I mean, I can attest to that. It's actually amazing to watch. So when you think about your businesses that you use to make a living, you're not thinking about growth? No. I mean, if I was, I would be getting off my ass and like producing more videos. But I don't. And maybe, and the reason for that is because, you know, I'm just lazy right now. I'm too comfortable. I'm enjoying myself. I'm doing what I actually want to do. I'm making myself happy every day. 
and that's like waking up when I want to wake up, going outside. Yeah, I'm a cannabis lover. I do apologize for it sometimes because, you know, in America, you're brainwashed to thinking it's bad. There's nothing wrong with being a lover of cannabis. Cannabis lover for many years now, stopped drinking alcohol, stopped smoking cigarettes. I live my life, you know, very healthy, you know, health consciously. Yeah, you know, I'm nothing better than just like waking up when you want to wake up, smoking a fat J, then going outside into the sunshine to the park where there's just like beautiful. That's what I was thinking today. How nice is this? Just like, you know, hi beautiful sun just green palm trees everywhere you know seeing my brothers and sisters at the park you know sweating listening to amazing music the drums just getting into a trance it's so uplifting it's so nice i mean i'm just like i'm in paradise every single day seeing the people i want to see every day i mean like uh, <laughs> it's in my backyard i'm in paradise what more do i need i don't need anything like, I'm lit, like, this is awesome. I can't think of, like, so think about the future. Ah, oh, man, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't imagine how life would be any better than this. So, really, like, how can life be, get better than this? Literally, every single day, wake up when I want to wake up, feel the sun. You know, it's like, what is it, February 20, 22nd today? February 21st? Today's February 21st. And check this out. It's like, like, 90 degrees, it's like a, a, a sweet, sunny September day, you know, with like beautiful, just like that nice breeze, Indian summer breeze. Man, it's just like life cannot be any better here. I can't imagine things getting better. I mean, like, would, would like a yacht improve my life? <laughs> no. A plane ticket somewhere? No. I'm exactly where I want to be at right now. You know, I've traveled all around the world. I am exactly where I want to be at right now. You know, beautiful sunny Saigon, grilling up high quality pork at this delicious, very reasonably priced uh, Korean barbecue restaurant with my brother, teacher, mentor. How can life get any better than this? Really? So, like, talking about the future, I'm sorry. I, like, I feel like I've, I've hit something, like, incredible. And all, you know, my concern, I'm not greedy. I'm not a greedy guy. My concern is just uh, sustainability. How do I sustain this lifestyle? That's all I care about. Well, yeah, well, let's... And I am, I am sustaining it. You are sustaining it. And, um, yeah, let's, let's talk about that, right? Durability and sustainability in your industry. But, I mean, first, you know, we had this conversation a couple weeks ago about being moved by the market and shaping a market. That balance between being market focused, but also standing for something and standing for, for example, the way you DJ, the types of dancing you're teaching. It's everything you're doing, right? How do you kind of draw that line in between artistry and market? Experience. I've, I've been doing salsa uh, since 2004 like dancing salsa since 2004 and I've been teaching since 2008 uh, so at the time of recording this podcast I have been teaching professionally uh, making money from teaching salsa for 12 years now and, you know I've tried to do the math thousands of students you know I've I've had 11 people now that have come to me for instructor training who I've professionalized as instructors the majority of which still teach at my studio in Washington DC 
I was just experienced, bro. I like at first you you get like super technical, and then you like get swayed by the market, and you water down, you dumb down your stuff, and then you know you're you know you get caught up in your feelings. Like, how real are you? Are you just like some com- you know commercial sap, or are you like not? You know, you balance things out throughout the years, and you find out a formula that works for you. So it's different for everyone, right? That 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 line. That line is different for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like it's it's swayed back and forth for sure. I'm at a comfortable level now where I know enough. Uh, I've done this long enough where I know what kind of information to give out during class. As far as the music, though, I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to step down on my stance of the music. I'm not going to dumb down. You know, at my socials, for instance, I'm not going to dumb down the music just so it's like quote unquote easier. Some people have complained. You know, the music's too difficult, Jimmy. You know, I'm not sorry, man. This is like. My time to play music that I, I actually like listening to. The only time. I wouldn't be a DJ here if there was, like, you know, a place I really... Like, in DC, I'm not a DJ. Like, I start DJing, people would be like, what? You have no business DJing. You don't know how to work that stuff. You know, because we have professional DJs in Washington, DC. Like, big ups to them. Like, that's their only job to... Uh, like, our market is so big, it can sustain full-time professional salsa DJs. You know, this is their 100% job. So, like, you know, I wouldn't... Why would I cut into their pie when they're doing an excellent job? It's not like that. There's no professionalized 100% salsa DJs here. So, you know, I, I take my hand at it, and it's the only time in the week I can dance or listen to, like, music that I like. So, you know, I'm not compromising on that, on that front. You also didn't compromise by becoming, quote-unquote, a performer. Oh, that's another thing. Yeah, like, well, you know, people want to perform. People want to perform, and that's cool. When I when I was coming up in salsa, my teacher uh, Christian Harris, he was he he wasn't a performer. He sucked at choreography, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So like, I did follow his footsteps. I just like you know, whoever's your teacher in the beginning is so important because they really shape your worldview. They shape they shape like you become an image of you know your teacher. You're growing from that tree. So, like, that was just, like, my influences from the beginning. So I never was interested in the performing thing because he wasn't. I'm sure if he was a super performer and when I didn't know anything, he was pushing me in that direction, I would be like that too. But that's just, that just wasn't my karma for this life. This meat looks amazing, man. Yeah, at least this is being cooked like really nicely. Like, yeah, Jimmy is also a master of flipping meat on the Korean yeah, barbecue. I'm pretty good at barbecue. You know, I grew up eating as a Korean as a Korean American. This is like pretty much. Our yeah, thing. I don't even touch it. Like, I, I mean, why, why bother? Let's talk about a little bit about um, what you said was that you feel like one of your life purposes is. Spread joy through dance. 100%. 100%. And did you stumble upon that calling, or is it something that has been within you since you were a kid? Uh, no, I totally, totally, you know, my life right now is completely by accident. I teach people dance, and they, and they find immense joy in dance, and so it's like, wow. I do this, and uh, people are happy, and they make me happy in return and it's just this like never-ending cycle of joy and so i realized wow this is what i'm supposed to do because i'm just having so much fun and like other people are having fun gives value to their lives and they like they express that 
and I feel good about it. And it just like keeps on going around and around and around. And do you feel like that's going to be with you for a long time? I'm not stopping this forever. I'm not stopping this. Like, you know, when I'm 80 years old, I imagine like, you know, teaching. I'm constantly teaching the next generation. Every time somebody new walks through those doors to learn, that's the next generation, potential next generation. It's, not, it's like my, the rest of my life. Until, until I can't, even, even if I can't walk anymore, I'll be like spreading the love of, of this dance music culture. Like at least like showing, teaching music or whatever. Even if I can't walk, I'll still be doing this. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Do you remember when we were drinking smoothies at Job uh, Taiban and we were talking about our previous corporate lives and you were like, I'd rather die. I'd rather die. <laughs> I thought that was a bit extreme. But as I laughed and I saw you were being dead serious, like you weren't even joking around. I'd rather die than go back to my old life. Really, once you've tasted the truth, you can't go back. Wait, what do you mean by the truth? The truth of life, the purpose of life. The purpose of life is happiness. And once you've found the truth, your personal truth and what makes you happy, how can you return? How can you return, really? I'd rather die. And that's the type of seriousness that I needed right when I was contemplating whether to quit my job or not to make me so serious about this that I would succeed. In order to succeed, you have to be, it's life or death. It's life or death, man. I mean, what, you, th you take it as a joke, then you're not going to like, you know, you're going to think of it as a joke. It's going to be that a joke's worth of value to you. I've always thought that. If I'm quitting my job, man, this is life or death. I take it as seriously as life or death because I'm not going back. I'm going to die trying. I'm dying trying. But that's actually what I find so interesting about you is that there is a contradiction there, right? Like you're saying, okay, life or death. But you're also, you've also told me that you're a hippie. You've also you know, told me you're a self-described hippie. So that's where I'm seeing the contradiction because there's a general's focus but there's like a hippie's life in that sense. So how is that? How do those things come together for you? That's life. If I don't have that, I'd die. I'll die. So you have the, the, the extreme life or death focus to have the hippie's life. Is that what you're saying? To live the life I'm living right now. This is life. Life, I'd rather live this or not live at all. I'd rather die. I mean, what am I going to be doing back in the dungeon in my cubicle? Doing what? Just like pounding at a keyboard. Literally, I just wrote white papers all day, like business development. Like what? All bullshit. Like, like just like pages and pages, literally bullshit. Like selling to the customer, bullshit. Like literally. Yeah, man. I hear you. I hear you. One thing um, that really caught my attention the other day is we were sitting outside on Chung Din, right? Eating fried tofu. And then you were talking about what it takes to build trust in a community. Do you remember that? And you were like, it requires consistency, you know, and showing up and keeping the doors open. So I'm curious, like, because, again, getting back to that theme of community and salsa, like how you think about building trust both in person and online, because that's something you also have to do these days because you're living here, but your business is in D.C., Building trust online means uh, having a consistent online presence. 
Building trust in reality is having presence. At one point, people will know you're going to be there. Whether you put out the message or not, whether you have to look up like some kind of like a post or not or whatever, they'll know you'll be there. That's trust. That's consistency. So, or consistency creates trust. Can you give an example? Just being at the park every day. You know I'm going to be there. So, like, people show up without, like, saying anything, and that's fine, because I'll be there. You know, you know I'm going to be there. It's also a signal in a sense, right? Like, yeah, I'm taking this seriously. I do practice every day, like I, I tell people to do. I literally, I try, you know, I practice what I preach. Practice every day. I just want to explore that more. Like, what you mean by being there for someone. So, with our little crew, 239 Boys, right, we're just a ragtag collection of people who love to dance and who love to train and who love music, right? And as the leader of this group, like you are there for all of us. I feel it. I do feel your presence. And I'm sure Tosh or Mark or Dai or Nadia would say the same thing. Does that require a lot of effort from you and energy? I mean, this is something, right, that you've been doing for years in different places, building these communities. I'm, I guess, you know, I don't know why I don't want to admit it or label myself as, but I guess I am a nurturer. I mean, th- I'm a teacher. Why would you not want to admit that? I don't know. It's like, I don't know. Sounds funny? Yeah. Sounds funny. I don't know why. But I'm a nurturer. Yeah. Comes, uh, comes naturally. A nurturer, a nurturer of people. Yeah, taking care of others. Sure, taking care of others. Because, uh, you know, what are you but a collection of your friends? You are the sum. You are the sum of the people around you. You are your brother's keepers. You are your brother's keepers, for real. Did that come from the military, or that came from your childhood, or that just, you've just been that way? Because it's rare, it's a rare trait. I don't see it very often, honestly. That's a good question, bro. I've always felt close to the people around me. I mean, you are your brother's keepers. I mean, what else are you? If you're not, then like, what are you? I don't know, like, (laughs) If you don't have your brother's back, whose back do you have? Just yourself? Your own back. Yeah, you're not going to have any friends. You know, and we're social creatures. We want friends. Or it's healthy to have friends. I'm just curious about your influences. Do you have a book or person or idea that has really stuck with you and kind of shaped shaped your outlook on, on life and work? I think the book came out in 2008. That's when I got it. I Four hour work week. Props to Timothy Ferris. During that time, like, I started to read a lot of self-help books. Right when I hit, like, 21, I'm turning 36 this year. But 21, I mean, that age is such an important age. How to Win Friends and Influence People. I mean, man, that book, bro. It's like, of course you want to win friends. Like, you know, and these are the ways, you know, don't be an asshole, be nice. Basically, the whole book is about like, be nice and you'll win friends and they'll help you in whatever you want. <laughs> like, you know, it's just like so simple, the message, but like, it's just uh, like a, a book full of case studies of how people like win friends. I mean, I guess it's no brainer now, you live this life, but like, I guess like as a child, you need these kind of books. Uh, this should be like required reading. I'm gonna, you know, if I, if I have children, I will like push this book onto them. 48 Laws of Power, The Art of Seduction, uh, The Art of War, Sun Tzu, uh, The Prince, uh, Book of Five Rings, Miyamoto, Musashi. Yeah. You read a lot. You do. 
Yeah, Art of War, you know, uh, 14, 13, like young, young. Confucius is, uh, you know, the Analects spread out in like two, two different books. You read philosophy as well. You read the, you read the Analects by My Confucius? My dad, he bought these books for me when I was like, Holy shit. Ele- uh, like fifth grade. I, I, so I, I had these books and like during reading time in school, like this is fifth grade, I would bring like Confucius's uh, Analects, the classics. And like my teacher would be like, Jimmy, what's that? I said, this is Confucius. And she goes, you're supposed to be reading like Isaac Asimov and like, you know, Ender's Game. These are the kind of books you should be reading. Like that's what like she imagined like during book time, not like the classics. But yeah, I've been like, you know, uh, how to win friends, influence people. Actually, I picked that up in Barnes & Noble when I was uh, like 12 or 13. And I always had that in my, in, my, in my backpack. So it's been a subconscious thing, I guess, for my entire life. I always carried that around until it was tattered. I didn't even, like, you know, it's always just, like, been, like, wait, like... It's the whole secret to Jimmy Yoon. How to win friends and influence people. Dale Carnegie. Dale Carnegie. That book is instructive. Dale Carnegie does not mess around. No, man. Art of War. Sun Tzu. Art of War. Yeah, read it. Like, I've had the, pa- like, hardcover, paperback, audio, like, throughout the years. I mean, these are books that you should review multiple times. You don't just read it once. You review it multiple times throughout your life. And you'll find, like, new, like, meaning, you know, will emerge from these, like, great classic works. 48 Laws of Power, that's one of those, like... Robert Greene. Yeah, amalgamations. Art of Seduction. I am like, that book, single-handedly, has, like, that's the secret to, like... Like finding the your your partner, your mating. If you want to mate, like at a young age, like that's it, that's it. That taught me everything. Reverse psychology, everything. Like what, like these, like girls are looking, you know, trying to find, you know, the different like uh, archetypes. Yeah. Of it's people, everything, all these case stories, everything, everything. And it's just like so instructive. Teaches you like there are blueprints to like winning in life out there through these books. That's the history, man. Actually, the secret is these are these books. These are the se- these secrets. Like reading these books at a young age, being influenced by these books. Art of Seduction. I read that cover to cover like multiple times. So that's very much the psychology of people. Uh, the Art of Seduction is big, big time. I mean, because of that, like I have never had problem dating, meeting girls. D- never, never. I just like, man. After reading that book, it fe- it's like. <laughs> The secret was cracked. The code was cracked. It was incredible. Uh, that, yeah, 48 Laws of Power. Um, didn't finish that. That's a hefty book, too. Art of Seduction is a hefty book. It took me a while, but I, I read that cover to cover multiple times, actually. Uh, 48 Laws of Power. Didn't finish that, but that's instructive as well. Art of Seduction. That's like, I'm giving that to my kids. My God, I had another question on my mind, but I forgot it. After you were so passionate about these books. These are instructive, instructive classical, cla- classical texts. How to Win Friends, Influence People. Everybody should read it. The, it, the world would be a better place, first off, because, you know, you treat people, like, nicer. Yeah, I remembered it. It came back uh, while we're cooking this meat. And we're almost done here, by the way. Because you're pursuing quite, I would say, an unconventional career path, being a salsa teacher. There's not many of you in the world. Not many. And... Like you said, when you meet people who want to do that, you jump to help them because you know that, you know, yeah, this is not not an easy route. How do you think about or do you even think about others' opinions and what the outside world is doing, what your friends are doing, what your peers are doing? 
So I think one problem I've, I've seen is that people have trouble dealing with, like, they want to do this. They want to live your dream that you're living, but they're afraid of, like, what other people will say or think of them or they're not on the right path. It all goes back to ego, right? Why do you feel bad in the first place? I mean, I, I speak easily on this subject because I feel like I've, you know, I've... It's a practice. It's a daily practice to walk up that mountain, but I feel like I've gotten a taste now that I, I, I can speak of it now. All that stems from the ego. Like, those are just negative emotions. Like, like what holds you back? Negative emotions. Fear. Negative emotions hold you back from the judgment of others, opinion, etc., etc., etc. Those are all revolve around the ego. I watch the Dalai Lama actually religiously. I, I he has these talks, these these like two-hour-long talks, like the nature of reality, the nature of consciousness, uh, you know, quantum physics, and how it relates to like Buddhist science. And uh, you know, I fall asleep to them every night. The Dalai Lama talks about uh, two conditions which arise negative destructive emotions. The majority of your negative destructive emotions arise from, number one, a self-centered attitude. Mine, 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 I, I, mine, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my meat, my car, my people. A self-centered attitude first. And secondly, destructive emotions come from grasping at reality as it first appears. Because based on Buddhist philosophy, reality is never as it appears. Grasping at your initial view. You know, you see something you don't like, you don't know the, you know, there's always three sides to the coin. There's always somebody else's story. Nobody has the full story. You don't know. But you see something and you get mad instantly and then you start replaying what you first saw, your first observation. And it might not totally it might totally be what you what you didn't expect. You assumed wrong. How many times you assumed wrong and you just felt bad, you made yourself feel bad. So that's a uh, a major reason. Those two in combination comprise of most of the negative destructive emotions that can arise from oneself. A, having a self-centered attitude, ego, about something. And B, grasping at reality as it first appears. When we remind ourselves that the universe doesn't revolve around you, and that your first observation might not be correct, that destructive emotion just uh, evaporates, it vanishes. And that's your practice. That's, that's, that's your one of the practice. practices. Yeah, yeah. Daily pra it's a daily practice. Being aware of that. Those opinions aren't as loud, don't matter as much. You, you see them for what they are. They go away. Aren't. They go away. I'm really happy right now. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I'm very happy with my life. I mean, my parents, of course, who what kind of like, you know, concerned parents wants their child to be a starving artist. You know, nobody wants them to go on this path unless they're artists themselves, especially not first generation immigrants of America. Hardworking, want you to be doctor, lawyer, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. High paying position, best school, et cetera, et cetera. You know, not in arts for sure. You know, more in the sciences, uh, like power. The classic way of, of escaping poverty. That's the whole reason why they left their countries in the first place, right? Nobody wants their kid to be a starving artist. I struggled with that. That's been a conflict of mine for years, for a decade or more, for sure. 
Uh, but I'm okay with it now because I'm just way too happy to like. Uh, can't be bothered. I can't be bothered. I'm too happy. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, I think I think that's pretty much it. I mean, I guess. Well, let me give you the floor to just say anything you want to our audience of people who are trying to pursue their own path. You know, on a doing art, doing teaching or social impact work, um, or just setting off on their own. You know, maybe they were like you, working in a in a job, no windows, stuck in the in the basement. What have you learned on this decades, you know, long journey for you about surviving and pursuing your path? Oh, bro, I have so many things I want to say, but like, uh, please say them. Please say all of them. Stand up. Stand up on your own. You have to learn how to stand up on your own. You have to learn how to stand up on your own. No one is going to. Uh, help you stand up no one's going to pick you up for you there's going to be a lot of people that are going to help you but nobody is going to pick you you up for you what do you mean i kind of get it but i i want to go further i mean no one no one no one gets to wherever they want to get without the help of others yes you're i mean everyone is going to help you but everyone will help you if they see that you're trying to stand up on your own that's the key that's like the that's the that's the key right there. You have to stand up on your own, and when people see that you're genuine about standing up on your own, they will come and help you. You can't expect others to raise you up. You have to stand up on your own. You have to like whatever you're you're actually doing. You have to really like genuinely care about what you're doing, not for like you know, n not for other m ulterior motivations. Winning like you know the love and the fame and the acclaim of other people all that is like illusory those are illusions That's all bullshit. You have to care about whatever subject you're getting into That's like really deeply passionately care about it and that comes from like, you know That's comes from what you like It's as simple as that you got to actually like be interested in like, you know like deeply interested enough to like push you to the to the very like edges of the universe which, which I've seen with the way you treat music and you treat dance. Anything else? Uh, I'm loving this, man. Yeah, myself included. This, this Did you have anything else? Thank you for giving me this opportunity, bro, uh, to, to be on your podcast. What you're doing is recording a historical document, uh, which I'll share. Snapshot in time. I'll be able to share with uh, you know, my predecessors you know, along the line, thanks to your hard work. Thank you so much, bro. You know, also you gave me the gift of reminiscing my history and my past. I mean, when do I ever get to do this in my daily like life? I just describe my daily life. Uh, it's not every day I get to like relive. I l relived my history and it's, it's been great. Thank you so much, bro. Thank you so much for listening, and if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on whatever podcast app or platform you use. It helps more people find the show, and I would sincerely appreciate it. Thanks again, and remember you can find all the show notes and links mentioned in this episode at upstartist.tv ace. That's A-S-E. Hope to see you over there to continue the conversation.